as I mentioned in prayer a moment ago, our world is in conflict. For the last two weeks, the news has been saturated with coverage about Israel's war with Hamas taking place in the Gaza Strip. And that conflict has pushed the war between Russia and Ukraine out of the headlines. But both of those wars have a dangerous potential to draw other nations into their conflicts. And one could argue that the United States is already involved because of the assistance and support that we provide to Ukraine and to Israel. Our recent experience in Afghanistan was a hard lesson in the truth that wars are easy to get into and difficult to get out of. But wars aren't the only arenas of human conflict. We see evidence of it everywhere, from the Middle East all the way down to small-town politics and interpersonal relationships. Throughout history, our world has been full of strife, discord, and disagreement. And it all goes to demonstrate that the people of our world have two all-important needs. To be reconciled to one another, for one, but even more importantly, to be reconciled to God. And I want us to take a look at that today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read these verses from the Word of God. Beginning with the well-known verse, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now I think one of the things that is imper imperative and evident in this passage is and that the greatest need of every person is reconciliation with God. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As a result of that, we live under a curse. Those of you who were studying in Galatians chapter 3 in your Sunday school lessons this morning talked about that. We're under a curse if we live trying to fulfill the requirements of the law and make ourselves in some way righteous before God. But it says Christ became a curse for us that we might be God's righteousness. Sounds very similar to what we find here in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. 
We have sinned and sin fractures our relationship with a righteous and holy God. Sin makes us an enemy of God. But God loves us. God wants to exist in relationship with us. That's why He created us to be in relationship with Him. So God did what was required to solve the problem of sin. God took action. He took the initiative in reconciling us to Himself. He sacrificed His only Son, Jesus Christ, as a perfect, unblemished, once-for-all offering for us. Verse 21 tells us, God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And God did His work of reconciliation while we were still His enemies. Before we had any thought for asking God to, to be reconciled with us, before we had any desire to be reconciled to God, while we still were in our rebellion, God undertook the work of reconciliation. In Romans 5.8, a verse I quote often, it says, God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were enemies, God took the initiative to save us. In a sermon preached by the late Stephen Olford, he tells a story about a Baptist pastor named Peter Miller who lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania during the days of the Revolutionary War. And he was a friend of George Washington. Another man that lived in Ephrata named Michael Whitman was an evil-minded man who did everything he could to oppose Pastor Miller and to abuse him and uh, gossip about him and start rumors and all kinds of evil things against the pastor. Now, one day, Michael Whitman was involved in an act of treason. He was caught in it, he was arrested, he was tried, and he was condemned to death. Well, the old preacher, Peter Miller, walked 70 miles to Philadelphia to plead for Whitman's life. He was admitted into Washington's presence, and immediately he began to appeal for the life of the traitor. And Washington said, no, Peter, I'm sorry, I, I can't give you the life of your friend. And the pastor said, my friend, he's, he's, he's the bitterest enemy I have. And Washington was taken aback. He said, what? You walked 70 miles to try to save an enemy? Well, that puts the whole thing in a different light. And so Washington, trusting his friend, granted the pardon. And Peter Miller took Michael Whitman from the very shadow of death back to his own home in Ephrata, no longer enemies, but now friends because of what the pastor was willing to do. God in Jesus reaches out His hand to us, even while we are His enemies. And if we respond to His offer of reconciliation with repentance and faith, then we can become God's friends again. Our reconciliation, which is bought with the very blood of Christ, involves forgiveness of sins. In verse 19, 
It says, God was reconciling the word, world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Back in the Psalms, Psalm 32, verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. We are blessed in Jesus Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them, offering forgiveness because of what Christ has done. Because Christ took the penalty for our sin, nailed it to His cross, stepped into our place so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There is forgiveness involved. Reconciliation always involves forgiveness. God has provided forgiveness for your sins, but you have to respond in repentance and faith. And so, Paul says, be reconciled to God. Now, even in that imperative, God is at work. You notice that it's in the passive voice, be reconciled. He doesn't say, reconcile yourself to God. That's what people were trying to do through the law. That just brings a curse. No, he says, be reconciled to God. Let God bring you into the righteousness of Christ through Christ's sacrifice. Let yourself be reconciled to God. But by all means, be reconciled. God took the initiative. God did everything necessary for us to be reconciled to Him except taking that one small step toward Him to say, God, I want it. I want to be in relationship with you. God paid the price. And if God was willing to sacrifice His own Son to reconcile with us, then we should be quick to reconcile with others. It puts us under an obligation. We all need to be reconciled to God, and I would guess that most of us here on a routine Sunday morning have had that experience that we call being saved, coming to Christ in faith. But we also need to be reconciled to one another. Verse 18, I think, makes that point. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now that ministry of reconciliation was the message that Paul carried to the Gentiles and anyone who would listen. But I believe it's also about us. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. That puts us under an obligation to share the message of reconciliation and to be reconciled to one another. Reconciliation with God obligates us to be ministers of reconciliation, and we need to be reconciled to one another for a number of reasons. But for one, we need to be reconciled to one another for our church's sake. If our church is going to be everything that God intends it to be, everything that God called it into being to express, we have to let go of resentments and hurt feelings that we may harbor toward one another as believers. Conflict is going to happen. It happens in any group. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
There am I in the midst of them, Jesus says. But where two or three are gathered together in His name, there's almost certainly at some point or another going to be some sort of disagreement or conflict that arises. It's because we're all different. We have different gifts. We have different perspectives. It's natural. It's God's creation. But that doesn't mean conflict has to destroy community. One high-profile, prominent megachurch pastor has said, the mark of community, true biblical unity, is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of a reconciling spirit. A group of people who are quick to reconcile with one another when differences occur, when conflicts arise. And let me tell you what's going to, or what would facilitate reconciliation between you and any other genuine Christian. If you will take this step, and that is to open your eyes and see the big picture. We are involved in a much bigger conflict than any conflict you may be involved with with a fellow believer. We struggle together as the body of Christ against principalities and powers and the forces of darkness and evil that have all of us in their sights. We all have a target on our backs and Satan is cocked and ready to let those arrows fly if we let down our guard. We need to remember that we're not the enemy. Satan is. If we can step back and take a look at the big picture, we'll recognize that. Because when we're stirred with anger toward a brother or sister, when we take offense, when we get angry, what we have done is surrendered to Satan. We have let him get the victory. He is our united foe. Private David Jones was a soldier in the 508th Parachute Infantry Regiment in the 82nd Airborne Division in World War II. And on D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, he parachuted into Normandy behind enemy lines before the assault on the beaches took place later that day. They were the, the advance force, if you will. And the parachute drop itself was a very life-threatening experience because the planes had been under very heavy fire. Many of them dropped their paratroopers too high, others too low, many going too fast. Many were killed or injured on the way down. Private Jones landed in a flooded area that drowned 36 other troopers. He managed to drag himself out of the water by his parachute suspension lines, but when he cut himself loose and climbed up to higher ground, he had another fright. See, back in England during a night exercise, he had gone into a pub and got into what he called a fairly good fist fight with another paratrooper. And after their buddies separated them, the other trooper had vowed that once they got into combat, he was going to, to get Private Jones. Well, now in Normandy, Jones says, wouldn't you know, the first person I met on the edge of that flood was that same trooper. And he had me looking into the barrel of his gun. Well, he said, 
after we hugged and slapped each other on the back, telling each other how fortunate we were to have made it through this far, we started off together. Why? Because those two paratroopers had the wisdom to recognize they were involved in a much greater battle and they had a, a common foe that was trying to kill them. And their petty conflict back in that pub in England was long since forgotten. I hope that we have the good sense that those two paratroopers did to recognize that we are engaged in a much larger battle against a common foe who wants to destroy all of us and each of us who will let him. We need to let go of those minor conflicts, anger, uh, offenses that so easily pull us under and put us under the spell of the evil one so that we can serve and fight together against our common enemy. We need to reconcile for our church's sake, but we also need to reconcile with others for our own sake, for our own well-being. Holding on to negative feelings towards others impedes our relationship with God. It gets between us and God. It hampers and hinders and harms our own spiritual well-being. Remember, the Lord Jesus Himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So that nothing gets between you and God. Now, one of the best illustrations of the truth of that that I've ever heard came from a, a friend of mine back in Texas. We led him to the Lord. He was a, a, a city bus driver in the city of Fort Worth. And his son had come to faith in our church as a, as a boy. And ultimately that led him and his wife to come and visit the church and, and come to faith. And I baptized him in 1999, almost 25 years ago now. His name is Morris. He, he, he was on fire for the Lord. He was so eager to be baptized, he practically dove backwards. I had to go after him. He splashed the choir. I mean, he was, he was excited about, about coming to, to Christ. And he grew. He became a deacon in our church. And, and one summer, he went with the youth to youth camp as a sponsor. And they were going to observe the Lord's Supper that night. And the, the camp pastor had told them to go back into their small groups and, and pray and confess and, and get right with the Lord so that when they came back for the Lord's Supper, they could experience the full spiritual experience itself. Well, he was convicted in that time. He said, how am I going to be an example to these young people when I have a broken relationship with my sister. And so he decided that the only way he could be what he knew he needed to be was to talk to his sister. He went, he found a phone there at the camp before the days of cell phones being so common. And he called his sister and he said, it's me, it's your brother. 
And she said, it can't be my brother. I don't have a relationship with my brother. And I haven't spoken with him in three years. And he said, listen, I just called to say I'm sorry. And I, I, I hope you have it in your heart to forgive me. And she said, my heart is full of forgiveness. And they both began to, to shed tears. And, and he, he said, I want us to get together. I want us to work this out. And they made an appointment that the first thing he did when he got back to town was to go visit with his sister and work those things out. And they did. He said, when we met, we talked all through it. We both were weeping. We recognized how foolish we had been in that broken relationship. They were reconciled. But what is such a good illustration of this passage is he said that celebrating the Lord's Supper that night was one of the best spiritual experiences he'd ever had with the Lord. Why? Because he had offloaded the burden of that broken relationship. It had been lifted from him. It had been taken away from between him and God. A reconciliation usually is not easy. It's not easy to humble yourself and ask someone for forgiveness. And it's not easy to forgive someone who has hurt you or wounded you. It wasn't easy for God. It cost God the life of His only Son on the cross. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus, who was sinless, was made to be sin, an offering for sin once and for all for us. As I said earlier, our sin was nailed to His cross so we could be made righteous and restored to a right relationship with God again. But it was not cheap. It was bought at a heavy price. You may have to pay the price of forgiveness to reconcile with others who have wounded you in some way or hurt you in some way. But after what God has done for you, can you do any less? How can we say no to God after all He has done to reconcile with us? To say, no God, I'm not going to reconcile with that person. Some people will say, I won't ever forget what so-and-so did to me. I have a long memory. Well, let me tell you, the very last thing you ever want to hear God say to you as you stand before Him in judgment is, I have a long memory. God lets those things go. He separates from us our sin us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. Someone said he casts them into a bottomless lake and puts up a sign, no fishing. Can we not take the effort and pay the price to reconcile with others in our lives with whom we need to reconcile? The Bible says again and again and again, forgive and you will be forgiven. So where do you need reconciliation in your life this morning? Do you need to reconcile with 
someone who has hurt you or offended you? Are you big enough to forgive? Are you big enough to ask for forgiveness if you are the one who has transgressed in some way? Don't put it off because it can heal your life. It can restore your, your fellowship with your Heavenly Father because it's been getting in the way of it. Do you still need reconciliation with Him, your Heavenly Father? It is the greatest need we have as human beings who have fallen and transgressed His, His righteousness, who have rebelled against Him. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You may say, well, I, I want to, but I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need, to, I need to do this or that or the other first. Well, in the very next chapter of 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't wait. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. This may be our last day on this planet. What then? If Paul were standing here in my shoes today, he would implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God and do it today. Let's pray. God, how blessed we are that you have reached out to us through Christ and offered to us forgiveness and restoration, reconciliation with you that we might have an intimate, personal, meaningful, life-changing relationship with our Creator. I pray, dear God, that you would help us this day to stop delaying, stop putting it off, stop making excuses. But this hour, I pray that you would help us be reconciled to you. Our greatest human need, if we have never done that. And Lord, if we have, I pray that you would help the rest of us follow your example in taking the initiative to be reconciled with others who have hurt us in some way, who've wounded us. Father, help us to let go of that anger, the bitterness that withers us from the inside. Help us to be pure in heart, extending the benefit of the doubt to others rather than jumping to any opportunity to be upset or offended or angry. God, help us to reconcile not only with you, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with those beyond these walls who need to see in tangible ways what reconciliation can do and perhaps be reconciled to you. God, work in our hearts and in this place today for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.